Christianity, but it helps us to be reminded of those basic themes sometimes, and that's exactly what the text does for us this morning. Before we read the text, there's a story I want to share with you. I remember one time, as I was reflecting on this, I, I remember one time when I was in college, I, uh, I had my first roommate in the first apartment that we had together. It was an upstairs apartment, and the guys that lived next to us they were kind of crazy, like just wild kind of crazy, all right, and never knew what they were going to do next, and one day we heard, so my buddy and me were there, and we had a couple of friends over, two friends to be exact, all right, and we heard this banging on the door, bah, 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 bah. we kind of were startled and wondered what's going on, and, and so we hear this guy calling through the door, calling my roommate's name, he's like, open up, open up, and, you know, we were, you know, didn't know what to do, try to talk to this guy, in the uh through the door and calm him down and i've got one buddy who's in the back going let him in come on let him in i got your back i got your back and he's jumping up and down he's dancing all around i got your back i've got your back and so finally we calm this guy down we open the door and he he just bull rushes and so me and the friend of mine we grab him and detain him pin him against the wall meanwhile his his roommate that lives next door you know with him he kind of comes over, he understands, he hears all the ruckus that's going on, he comes over and he helps to get his friend out. So when all of the smoke clears and everything's done, we look around and we're like, Where, where's this other guy? The one that was saying, I got your back, I got your back. The brother had locked himself in the bathroom. <laughs> in the bathroom. And when he came out, he was like, what happened? <laughs> Well, what happens, what happens when someone who's supposed to have your back deserts you? You're on your own, right? This morning, in verse 15, Paul is speaking about this kind of an issue. Someone that is supposed to have his back, in a sense. He says in verse 15, You're aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant to him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. All right, so if you're visiting with us, let me catch you up, or if you missed a week or two, let me catch you up. Paul is in prison. This is the end of his life. Uh, he's, about to, he's about to be killed, uh, martyred for his faith. He knows it. He knows the time's coming, and he writes one last, uh, one last letter to Timothy, and so he's wanting to encourage Timothy, and at the end we see he says, Timothy, come, and when you come, bring the parchments. He doesn't know when the end will come, but he knows it's coming, and so he says, Timothy, come and see me. I long to see you. And he gives some encouraging words to Timothy. And by the way, Timothy was Paul's disciple. And when Paul left in Acts, when Paul left Ephesus, he left Timothy in charge, set him in charge as an elder in charge of the church of Ephesus. All right, and so Timothy is probably mid-30s. And, you know, and he's, just, he's been discouraged by some things. And so now we see that Paul is writing this letter to Timothy. And so the first point I, I want us to see here is that discouragement and desertion are difficult realities to wrestle with. They're difficult realities to wrestle with. Discouragement and desertion are difficult realities to wrestle with. You know, as we, as we think about desertion, 
You know, every, every one of us will deal with this feeling of being deserted, discouraged, at some point in our lives. We all know it very well, and we see this in verse 15. And so if you, you think about this and what was going on then, Paul's at the end of his life, chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes this, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Right? This is Paul saying, I know the end is here, and I've poured my life out in service to King Jesus. And over the course of his missionary journeys, he's gone, he's traveled throughout the, the known world, and he's, he's taking these, uh, these missionary journeys to preach the gospel, and he's founded churches throughout Asia. And now he says, look at verse 15, he says, all who are in Asia have turned away from me, have deserted me. Now, he doesn't mean literally everyone, but, you know, this is, this is hyperbole. I mean, all, like, so many have turned away from me. I can't believe how many have turned away. He's already alluded this to, to this in verse 8 when he says, Therefore, don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Right? There were a lot of people who were ashamed of him because he was in prison. There were a lot of people who were ashamed of him because when he was preaching the gospel, he had been locked up. And by disassociating themselves with him, he's saying, not only have you disassociated yourself with me, but, but you've disassociated yourself with Christ. You've, because you've denied me as a brother in Christ, you've actually denied Christ. So Paul's saying, many have turned away, but he encouraged Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord even if it can't get you imprisoned, don't be ashamed, right? Jesus knew this. Peter was ashamed. Many were ashamed of Jesus. And so it seems that there was some particular event, a turning point where, where people began to jump ship from Paul's ministry. In fact, a substantial group had deserted Paul, and among them he points out two names, Phagellus and Hermogenes. Right? And, and these are guys that we, we don't necessarily know what role they played in the church. Maybe, they, right, maybe they'd be equivalent to, to people who taught a significant group of, of, of church members in Bible study. Right? And maybe they led a group away. It's speculation. But we know that these guys, they were among the leaders who deserted Paul. And they were most likely involved in the church in Ephesus. But, you know, the thing is, he doesn't have to give an account to Timothy because Timothy's familiar with it, right? In verses 15 through 18, we see an example then of those who have turned away. Paul says, don't be ashamed. Okay, Phagellus and Hermogenes, they, they're guys who have turned away. Instead, stand with me. Be like this guy, Onesiphorus. This guy is a, is a brother whose character is, is strong and he stands by people. Be like Onesiphorus. Share in my suffering. So one reason that Paul is writing to Timothy is to encourage him. If, if Paul has felt desertion from those in the province of Asia, Timothy, who's pastoring the church in Ephesus, right, in the province of Asia, Timothy as well is feeling desertion. And so he likely even has many defectors from his church in Ephesus. And so this battle is really happening on two fronts. Paul being locked in a dungeon, right, in Rome. And for Timothy, verse 15, Paul says there, look, in verse 15, the very first phrase, you are aware, 
You're aware of what's going on. You're aware that all who are in Asia have turned against me. You're aware. You know this. So one more thing. Note then that Paul does not call Phagellus and Hermogenes heretics. Right? He kind of gives us a new category, another category that's a little less severe. He says that they are deserters. These are people who, when things don't go their way or things get challenging or things simply aren't convenient for them, they flee. The realization that springs to mind immediately for me is that this is still going on in churches today. Not over life and death matters, over more trivial matters, right? When things get difficult or we don't like something that's going on, it's easy to begin looking for another fellowship, another place to go. I'm not trivializing doctrinal issues or theological issues that you might struggle with, but I am saying that many times, many times, people are church hopping from one church to another church, and so that's not the way that we grow the kingdom. That's how we grow a kingdom. That's not the way we grow God's kingdom, right? The way that we grow God's kingdom is by sharing the hope of the gospel of Christ and loving people and seeing them come to faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, this is how we grow the kingdom of God. Otherwise, we're just kind of fooling ourselves, thinking that while our church is exploding maybe in number, that the kingdom of God is growing. That's not necessarily the case. What Paul's telling Timothy here is to stay strong. Don't be ashamed. Instead of like Phagellus and Hermogenes, be like, be like Onesiphorus. So we consider that's then, but consider now. You know, I can't help but to think that our own pride or our own arrogance or our own stubbornness often get in the way of kingdom work for the sake of Christ. And while this ought not be, it's discouraging and it's disappointing. And these discouraging and disappointing events inevitably will come. People will desert you. And in our moments of greatest need, we will feel abandoned by some who are closest to us. You know, we learned these lessons from early in childhood. Someone that you thought was a friend acts like, acts like they don't know you in a social situation where you go up and you say something to them, right? Children, do you, know, you know what I'm talking about? Where you go up and you speak to someone and they just kind of give you the cold shoulder and act like they don't know you. That's, that's a form of betrayal or or desertion, we begin learning this early in life when people treat us cruelly. But from childhood to adulthood, when you, when you confide in someone about a deep personal matter, and instead of supporting you, they end up using it against you, right? That's, that's betrayal. It kind of reinforces these trust issues that we really struggle with deep down. Do we really want to let someone in? Do we really want to let someone know deep down what we're thinking, what we feel? The truth is that we've all experienced discouragement and it comes from desertion or discouragement that comes from desertion. Whether that's in a failed marriage, whether that's in betrayal by a coworker or a close friend or a, a business deal that's gone bad, or even church members who unexpectedly leave the fellowship for unknown or insignificant reasons, right? All of these things hurt us deeply. And Paul knows it and Timothy knows it, and you and I know it, and listen, Jesus knew it. And Jesus is is there being questioned, and Peter, one of his closest disciples, denies knowing him. 
right? Jesus knew it. And when he's going to the garden to pray with his disciples and who but one of his own comes up and betrays him with a kiss, Jesus knew betrayal. He knew desertion. But here's the question. How do we deal with it? What's the biblical prescription for living through times when we're deserted and when we're discouraged? What's the biblical prescription? I, I think Paul, I've got three here that I think Paul helps us with. One, Paul's answer that he's already given us in the last couple of Sundays that we've seen in the text. Paul's answer is to keep focus on the hope of resurrection and don't lose faith. Keep focus on the hope of resurrection and don't lose faith, right? He says, remember, Timothy, remember the gift of God. Fan into flame the gift of God. Remember Jesus Christ crucified. He'll say remember often. Secondly, this letter is a testimony to what Paul sees as a way to deal with discouragement and desertion, right? He reaches out to Timothy, a friend. You know, oftentimes when we're discouraged, when we feel deserted, we, we want to isolate ourselves, right? When things hurt emotionally, we don't want to be around it. We want to isolate ourselves. And a lot of times what happens is that kind of just creates this spiral downward. But what Paul does is he, he reaches out to Timothy. He writes this letter to him. The third thing is God provides an unanticipated minister of mercy. God provides an unanticipated minister of mercy, meaning... Everyone's deserted Paul. <laughs> Who is there left? Pagellus, Hermogenes. He sent a couple guys out, we'll see at the end of 2 Timothy, to go and minister somewhere. He's all alone. What, what does he do? And all of a sudden, this guy named Onesiphorus shows up. We don't know anything about Onesiphorus aside from these few verses. But this, this brother in Christ shows up, and Paul says, man, he refreshed me such an encouragement to my to my soul and so here I want us to see secondly this morning when we submit to Jesus shaping our lives we become the answer to someone else's prayer when we submit to Jesus shaping our lives we become the answer to someone else's prayer so if you think about then verses 16 and 17 tell us all we know about Onesiphorus verse 18 as well and Paul voices this wishful prayer of mercy for Onesiphorus' household, verse 16, right? He, he says, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus. And then he goes on in verse 18, may the Lord grant, grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. Why? Because Onesiphorus has shown mercy to Paul. You know, we might define mercy here. Mercy is to see someone suffering in a time of need and to share selflessly in that suffering because it's what Jesus calls us to do. To see someone's suffering in a time of need and to share selflessly in that suffering because it's what Jesus calls us to do. That's what Onesiphorus does for Paul and that's what Christ did for us, right? I mean, Onesiphorus is modeling a Christ life here. We'll see that more in a moment, but, but think about it. Humanity, in our sin, in our inability to, to turn toward God and to be pleasing to God, in our inability to earn our way to God and to earn a, a right relationship with God, because 
we can't, we, we can't have salvation through our own works. It doesn't come by our own works. So in the midst of our suffering, our estrangement from God, what does Christ do? He comes to us. He takes upon himself the wrath of God for our sin, the punishment for our sin. He brings it to the cross. He, bear, he, he, uh, he bears God's wrath, and then he's resurrected on the third day, defeating death. This is the hope of the gospel, and this is what continues to motivate Paul, that Jesus Christ has redeemed us. He saved us, and because of that, we have hope past the grave, right? We have resurrection hope. So consider how Paul describes Onesiphorus. Look at what he says about him. He says, first, he often refreshed me. May the Lord grant him mercy, for he often refreshed me, and he was not ashamed of my chains. You know, more, more than one time, Onesiphorus went to Paul. That's what Paul means when he says he often refreshed me. Like he came continuously. He continued to come and to refresh me. You know, one of, the, one of the distinctions that we need to recognize is prison in Paul's day and Jesus' day was nothing like prison in our day. Prison in our day, the state provides for the prisoners. But in, in Paul's day, in Jesus' day, the state didn't provide. The only way the prisoner was getting fed or having something to drink or, or getting warm clothing or a blanket, the only way those things happened was if a family or a friend showed up. And so what Onesiphorus does when he goes is he... He's, he's there physically. His presence is there. And he brings food, and he brings water, and he brings clothing. And probably even when he leaves, he, he leaves money for continued support for Paul. You know, but even more significant was that Onesiphorus' presence was like a cold drink of water on a hot day. It was just refreshing. The root word of refreshed is soul. And what Paul is saying here, Paul is saying, Onesiphorus ministered to my soul. When no one else was there, he came alongside me. And he was like a cold drink of water on a hot day. I mean, he, he really refreshed my soul. So he often refreshed me, but he goes on. He says, he stood with me when no one else would. He wasn't ashamed of my chains. He stood beside me. He wasn't afraid of being known as, as my friend. There was great personal cost for Onesiphorus to share in Paul's suffering. The fact that Paul prays mercy for Onesiphorus' household probably tells us a little bit about Onesiphorus being maybe a businessman, but enough to have a household to look, look after, right? To have servants, to have a family there that he's looking after. So Onesiphorus has traveled to Rome to share in Paul's sufferings. And get this, many people had a definite opinion of Paul because many had abandoned him. Onesiphorus was supporting a person who had been locked up in prison, so he ran the risk of being regarded by others, by the authorities, by business associates, by family, friends, so on, as a sympathizer who maybe should also be imprisoned, right? Associating with someone who's in prison who, who, who has done wrong. And so instead it says, he wasn't ashamed of my chains. Many others were ashamed, but he wasn't ashamed. And then thirdly, he, he sought out Paul. Look there in verse 17. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched earnestly for me and he found me. He searched for Paul and he found him. In fact, he searched for him until he found him. 
literally. Paul wasn't under house arrest. He was in some unknown dungeon that no one knew where he was. Many people would have their consciences satisfied if they would have gone to look, not found him, and just said, I can't find him. I tried, but I couldn't find him. But not Odysiphorus. Literally, he searched hard for me until he found me. He wasn't familiar with Rome, but he did the unpopular thing, and he probably went around asking questions, trying to find out Paul's location. What's notable about Onesiphorus' character is that he was living out Jesus' teaching. Consider Matthew chapter 25, verses 34 through 40. Listen. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation or from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. You see, Onesiphorus, through ministering to Paul, has ministered to Christ. Let me ask you, church family, are there those within our congregation who are struggling, who are in the midst of discouragement, maybe who have, who have felt like they've been deserted, and you've tried to call them, and it goes to voice, they send you to voicemail, or you've sent them texts and they never reply? Be like Onesiphorus, who searched hard. He kept on. His conscience wasn't satisfied, right? He kept on to bring encouragement to Paul. He kept on. The challenge maybe for us this morning is God has placed someone on our heart that we need to reach out to, that we need to come and and bring refreshing to. We need to be like Onesiphorus in that way and, and live the Christ life in that way and be a minister of mercy to them. He helped Paul when he was incapable of helping himself. And that's exactly what mercy is. And it's exactly what Christ did for us when he took upon himself our humanity and he made a way for us to have a relationship with God. How, how might we apply this further in our own lives? Recognize that God wants to use us as ministers of mercy in a similar way that he used Onesiphorus. You might be saying to yourself, well, I don't know anybody in prison. But I, th- I think we need, to, we need to open our minds a little more broadly than a one-to-one correlation of prison in Jesus' day or Paul's day in our day. Certainly, we can go to prison and we have prison chaplains that we, we can support and we can go and, and, and do work in the prison. Um, we have members of our congregation who go to the prison and uh, and minister to guys that are on death row. Uh, we, we can certainly go into the prison, but even more than that, perhaps we can think of, of anyone who's, who's lost their freedom in a, 
more general way. Consider how Onesiphorus extended mercy to Paul and then ask, how am I, how can I extend mercy to others? Whether it's someone that's struggling in their faith and suffering discouragement, or maybe it's something like going to a nursing home without passing judgment on situations that led to a person being in a nursing home, we can visit with them, we can read scripture, we can pray with those who are there, or even those who are maybe in an Alzheimer's unit, right? Many of you know about uh, our family dynamic and how Tara's grandmother's uh, been struggling with Alzheimer's, and so now it's come to a point where she needs to be put into an Alzheimer's unit. You know, and so sometimes those kind of moves are healthy for families uh, all the way around, not just the caretakers, but the one that goes in, right? But, but then there's also a sense for that person that's going in of maybe a loss of freedom. They're, they're confined there. And so we think beyond the scope of just prison, but how do we bring mercy to others? For this is a kingdom work. Those who are sick, who are in the hospital, maybe have a terminal illness, right? Those who are in psychiatric wards. The end goal here is, is to, to ask, how are we working to refresh others? How are we working to refresh others, to allow God to use us, to submit to God, using us to bring refreshment to others? All types of faithful servants are needed in God's kingdom. Not just Paul's, right, the big missionary. Not just Timothy's, the church pastor, but the Onesiphorus's. All who will hear God's call to be kingdom-minded ministers of mercy. So here's the challenge this morning. Let us live the Christ life. Let us follow Christ's teaching as we live out our daily life, seeking to be ministers of mercy, bringing refreshment to those in need. You know, sometimes we're on the receiving end of that, right? We're going through discouragement. And sometimes we, we need to be open and, and, and see that God wants to send to us an unanticipated minister of mercy. We need to be ready to receive that. In the midst of our discouragement to reach out to others, at the same time, we need to be ready and submissive to Jesus to do this work for him, to be used by him. So let us guard against being like Phagellus and Hermogenes, the unfaithful friends who abandon Paul, and let us be ministers of mercy and receive ministers of mercy in our time of need. So disciples of Christ serve Christ when we serve one another. I want to pray for us this morning. Perhaps this morning the Lord has challenge your heart to know more about what it means to be a disciple of his to show the love of Christ to others and maybe you're struggling somewhere in there of of really believing and following and surrendering your life to Jesus and if that's the case I, I want to be able to talk with you I'd love to talk with you after the service or talk to you one day this week you can find the church number there in the worship folder or talk to me after service and we can set up a time I'd love to connect with you Maybe this morning you have other questions about what it means to serve Christ or there's something that the Lord has spoken to you about that you need to surrender to him. And so this is a time of just responding to God. 
if you need someone to pray with you, um, you can come down front, and, and I'll be here at the front. I'd, I'd love to pray with you, or you can meet with one of us after the service, one of the elders uh, after the service, and we can pray with you. But this morning, as we, uh, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have the band come up, and they're going to lead us in a, a closing song. And when they do that, uh, this is a time for you to respond and deal with, with the Lord and how he's, how he's speaking to you. So let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for the testimony of your word. We want to thank you for how we see an example of what it means to be a minister of mercy, not just through our Savior Christ, but through others who have followed your teaching, who have followed your way, guys like Onesiphorus. Lord, we pray that you would strengthen our faith. Give us a strong desire, Lord, to, to live for you, to be ministers of mercy in our daily lives, to have the Spirit, Holy Spirit-led responses that we long to have but don't always have because our flesh gets in the way. Strengthen us, Lord, to be your faithful servants. Lead us by your Holy Spirit to follow you, to walk with you, to be these ministers of mercy that you call us to be. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand?